Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a brand new message. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. I'm just going to get right into the word this morning. Uh, we're going to be in John 8, but we're going to kind of go in a few places this morning. Um, <laughs> this is a passage of scripture that Jesus, uh, probably one of the sternest rebukes that he has. So I don't know if you're going to clap or cheer. Uh, You might say amen. We'll see. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? I'll tell you why. Because you are unable to hear what I say. Because you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. We're in a season, a building season at church, and every single week we're just building different aspects. And so today uh, I want to build upon this idea of truth. So our message today is just called Build Your Truth build your truth. Uh, You guys can can be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you so much, everybody. So glad again that you could be here. Uh, So just a quick question. Uh, Have any of you guys ever played the game before, two truths and a lie? Y'all played that? Anyone never played that game before? Most of us online, maybe you played that game. Uh, I was was a youth pastor for a number of years, and so this game is kind of like a classic icebreaker game. Two truths and a lie. If you don't know how the game works, it's pretty simple. Uh, There is a person that shares three facts, three things about themselves. Two of them are true, and one of them is a lie. And for every other person that's playing the game, your job is to try to guess and try to distinguish what are the truths, but most importantly, what is the lie. We've all played it before? Yeah. Now, um, this game is best played among strangers, right? That's what it's for. It's an icebreaker game. And so truth be told, this game's actually kind of hard when you play it with strangers, right? Because like, I have no clue if you went to school in Rimby. I don't know if that's true or a lie. Like, I, I just, I don't know you. Now, if you ever played this game with someone that you know, the game isn't as fun. In fact, the game was not meant to be played with those that you know. Like if Christy and I played this game, the game's not going to go on very long. Because we know each other very well. And so it's going to be really hard to try and lie to each other. Right? The game is, is meant for people that don't know each other. So really quickly, like Thanksgiving weekend, long weekend. Like if you're going on a first date this weekend, Tinder, Bumble, whatever the kids play on these days. Uh, and you want to play a game. You can play two truths and a lie. Now if you're married this weekend and you have a whole lot of fun playing two truths and a lie, uh, I would encourage you to communicate better. Just get to know each other a little bit more because this game is for for strangers. But here's kind of the principle that I want to take away from this. Um, If you know someone, it's a whole lot easier to distinguish what is true. The inverse, if I don't know someone, it's a whole lot harder to figure out what is true and what is false. Now, last week, uh, if you guys are here, can you guys make some noise? Anyone that heard the message last week talking about foundations? Uh, we, we looked at one of the soils, uh, the soils of our lives, and in it, it talked about how some people spring up, but they fall away because of the word of God. You guys remember that? 
and I told you I'm going to dig a little deeper into that, to that today. And I really want to dig into that even more so because I have a theory. And my theory is kind of this. I think one of the reasons that a lot of people will come into church, maybe grow up in church, get excited, fall away. That's what we talked about last week. If you missed it, go check it out. But I, ha I have a theory that one of the reasons that this happens is because for a lot of people, they are unable to distinguish what is true and what is false. They cannot tell what is true and what is false. And so what I want to do today is I want to build and I want to answer this question as best as we can. What is truth? And what does truth look like? And so we're going to be in John chapter 8 because I want us to learn a fundamental truth from this that is going to kind of set the backdrop and the foundation for this message. So we just read it, but I want to read it again and I'll tell you what we learned from this. Again, John chapter 8. Context, Jesus is speaking to a whole bunch of people. And it's really funny because the people that he's speaking to think that they represent God. And Jesus kind of slaps them up. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I've come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. You, and again, can you imagine this rebuke? Like he's speaking to church people. I want you guys to understand that. Speaking to church people. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. <laughs> the devil is your daddy. That's what he's saying. And he says, you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding any truth in him, for there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So here's what I want to learn from this. It's, it's kind of fundamental for the message today. We learn two things from John chapter 8. Number one, Jesus equals truth. And Satan equals lies. That's what Jesus is saying. And, and, and even more so, if you want to dig it even further, what Jesus is saying is that for a lot of people that profess to follow God, that think they're following truth, they're actually following lies. Now, the question you may be asking yourself is this, because Jesus claims to be truth, correct? Anyone disagree with that? That's what he claims. The question is, well, how do we know that he is actually truth? Is there, is there actually any way to know that Jesus, um, it, that what he says is true, that everything that comes out of his mouth is true? Now, truth be told, do we know for certain, for absolute 100% certainty, everything that Jesus says is true? Perhaps not. But at the very end of the day, one of the things I believe to be true is that I believe that Jesus of Nazareth was a real and historical person. Most people believe that. But I also believe that Jesus died, was crucified. <laughs> Jesus is true. That's it. How do we know? I said that he died and he rose again. I happen to believe that he actually rose again. I believe it in faith, but I also believe that there is historical and factual evidence that can actually point to a fact that Jesus may have indeed rose again. And so if Jesus actually rose again, here's what I believe to be true. If he died, if he rose, I'm going to believe what he says. Because he rose again. He defeated death. 
And so, if everything that Jesus says is true, and again, throughout this message, you can make the assumption, you can make the call yourself. I just happen to believe that everything that he says is true. And if everything that he says is true, is true, what it means is that the devil is a lie. We're back. Take, come on, we can clap our hands. Have you guys noticed there's like a little more authority when the mic comes out? The word has a little more power. The devil is a liar. Right? What Jesus is saying, if what he says is true, and I happen to believe what he says is true, I believe all that he says is true. What we know is that he is truth and the devil lies. The devil is a liar. And so what that means, you need to understand this. If there is a devil... He is constantly and continually lying to you. Now, I know, I know, I know, we live in 2021. And in 2021, we've evolved. We have science. We have medicine. We have TikTok. And so it can be hard to say, well, Harrison, you actually believe in a devil. You actually believe there's someone that's trying to lie to us. And, and even more than that, can you really believe that Jesus is truth? How can we believe the words of Jesus? It's old. The Bible is really old. His words are old. We've evolved. We've moved on. We know that evil is not as a result of Satan or sin. We know that evil comes from a lack of education, comes from social structures, the patriarchy, so on and so forth. C.S. Lewis, he has a term for this. And what he calls it is chronological snobbery. This is what that means. Chronological snobbery is the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. So I'm going to break it down what he's saying. He's saying most people live with a belief that newer is truer. All new ideas are true. Whatever the culture says is true is true. C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. Because for a lot of people, the intellectual climate says, well, the Bible is old. The Bible is out of, out, out of touch, out of date. Therefore, it isn't true. And I would even argue many people that are in church come to church. They'll say, yeah, I love Jesus. I love the worship. I love singing, all that stuff. The Bible is cool, but like, I only like, I don't really believe it. Because like it's old. And like we've evolved, we've moved on. C.S. Lewis again calls it chronological snobbery. But I happen to believe it's true. I happen to believe that there are many people that will profess to be Christians, but there's something inside of them that cannot accept the fact that what Jesus says is actually true. That his word is actually true. That what he calls us to do, what he says to us, is actually true. And what I believe happens, and we looked at it in the parable last week, is that you can come to church for a while. You can enjoy it for a little bit. But if you never make the decision to get rooted, to go deeper, and to actually believe that what Jesus says is true, not only will you fall away, it's going to happen sooner than you think. That's what we learned last week. And so what I want to do today is I want to begin to examine, and I want to more so identify lies that I think a lot of us believe. And, and in many ways, lies that a lot of us believe, but we don't actually know that they're lies. Now, it's a tall task, right? To, to try and break down every single lie in like 20 minutes. Um, 
because there's like thousands and millions of lies. Um, so I'm not really going to be able to identify every single lie. I'm going to identify a few. But really what I want us to show today is that we have an enemy, the devil, and the devil uses tactics in order to deceive us. And the truth about the devil that we learn in John chapter 8, Jesus says he's been a liar since the beginning. He's always lied. And so the thing about the devil is that the tactics that he uses have not changed. It's the same tactics from the beginning of time that he still uses today. Now, maybe you're asking yourself, well, why hasn't he moved forward? Why hasn't he evolved? Because the tactics he used at the beginning are extremely, extremely effective. You guys know the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? The devil has a strategy, and it's kind of effective. However, what we can do today, what we're going to do today, is we're going to go back actually to the very first book in the Bible, and we're going to look in the book of Genesis, um, and we're going to see how the devil comes, and three things that the devil does to deceive us. And from that, I'm going to hope to identify some lies and build some truth. Does that make sense? So, a uh, little context, if you're new to the Bible, Genesis, first book, to the, book of the Bible, what we get in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, God creates the world, it's good, it's perfect, he creates Adam, he creates Eve, husband and wife, God says, get it on, get freaky, be fruitful, multiply, um, life is good. Genesis chapter 3, this is where we get um, the liar for the first time, we're going to see three things that he does. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, now I'm pausing, if you're reading in your Bible, this is just the first half. The, Lord God, the, the serpent was more crafty than, anything that wild, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman. So in this right here, we get the very first tactic of how the enemy attacks us, and how the enemy lies to us. His first tactic is this. You can write this down. Number one, isolation. So God creates Adam and creates Eve. He even says it's not good for man to be alone. The very first time the devil shows up, the very first time he attacks, he does not attack them when they're together. He attacks Eve when she is alone. So here's the very first thing I want you to understand. The devil will do anything in his power to get you isolated. The devil will do anything in his power to get you disconnected. You and I are most susceptible to the lies of the enemy when we are by ourselves. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. You can shake your head, whatever you want. But just, just, just by, you know, just kind of consensus, would you guys say that it is those times when you're alone or those times when you're in extended isolation that you feel like you have the most negative thought patterns? Would, would any of you guys say it's those times when you're alone, late at night, whatever it may be, when you're just by yourself, when you feel like you are most tempted? Why? Because I think the devil works through isolation. For, for a lot of us, and you need to understand, I'm not talking about being alone, because obviously we need times in our life to be alone, right? Because for a lot of us, we actually don't want to be alone, so we're always so busy, 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 busy. But isolation is different than being alone. Right? Isolation, what the devil wants to do is give you extended periods by yourself. Extended periods where you have nobody speaking into your life, where you have no one that can protect you, no one that can speak truth to you. And in those moments of isolation, we are most susceptible to the lies of the enemy. Now, I kind of did the test, like the empirical test, like, yeah, yeah, I feel that, I feel that. Um, but what I want to do again is examine truth. So, so really, is this true? Does, does the devil actually work through isolation? Now, thankfully... 
There's always good things in bad times. Um, we've lived in the last two years almost in a time and a period where you could say that more people are isolated than ever. More people are alone than ever. And really COVID just like expediated it, but these stats have been going for the last 15, 20 years. More people live by themselves than ever before, so on and so forth. So thankfully from the last two years, we actually have some statistics that we can look at to see if there's some truth in this. So there's gonna be a graph on the screen. 2019, adults. One in every 10 adults said that they generally struggled with uh, anxiety and depression. 2021, January 2021, in this, this Pulse survey, um, it went up to four out of every 10 adults. 40%. It shot up. Now, of course, there's, there's a lot of factors. But one of the factors I would argue to be true is that in the last two years, people have been more alone and isolated than ever. Look what happens to depression and anxiety. And, and you need to understand, one of the things, anxiety is, is yes, it's, it's a clinical thing. And for some of us, it can be chemical, um, all that stuff. But for a lot of us, I would argue that our anxiety and our depression actually comes from attacks of the enemy. And in many cases, it's times when we are alone and we have long periods of isolation. Now, that's just adults. I don't have a graphic, but it's from the same survey. Um, young adults, right, that like college age, 56% of young adults in 2021 said they struggle with anxiety and or depression through the roof. And young adults, even more than adults, have had more isolation. They've had more alone time. They've had schools canceled, sports canceled, class canceled, so on and so forth. But here's the crazy one that I thought. It said 26% of young adults that were surveyed said that they have had suicidal thoughts in the last year. You see, when I'm by myself, isolated, alone, when I have no one in my life, it's easier for me to be lied to. It's easier for me to be susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. Now, some of us are saying, well, well Harrison, like you're saying that the, the devil like whispers in my ear? Like, what does it look like? Um, and I actually kind of do. But even more than that, I think the devil speaks through other mediums. I think he speaks heavily through social media. I want to encourage you guys just, just to try something. The next time you're by yourself and the next time you're scrolling through your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever it may be, I want you just to examine your thought pattern. What are the thoughts that go through your head as you're looking at pictures? And I would argue if you really, really get down to it, you'll see that oftentimes you will have more negative thoughts than you do positive thoughts. Things like, wow, I wish I looked like that. I wish I had that. I wish my church had that. And oftentimes, it's the devil using these mediums to try and lie to us, to try and let us know what we have isn't enough. And so what he wants to do is get us in isolation. So that's his first tactic. What I want to do is I want to give us some tools to fight back. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, Old Testament says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. So listen, if the devil works through isolation, what do we need to do? Here's the solution, super simple. We need to get plugged into community. 
If I understand this, come on, what are we trying to do? We're trying to identify what the enemy does, how he lies to us, how he gets to us. If I know the enemy wants to get me isolated, what do I need to do? I need to plug into community. I need you to understand something. We as humans, we're not meant to do life alone. Where are my introverts at? Listen, God creates us differently. There are extroverts. There are introverts. One of the lies that introverts believe is that I'm meant to do life alone. I'm just better by myself. Listen, you may recharge by yourself. You may not want someone at your house every single day, every single minute, but you do need community. There is no one person that has been designed, that has been created to live in constant and continual isolation because that is literally the devil's playground. So how do I have community? I'm going to give you one thing so simple. The best way to find community, you can write down one word or two words. Be intentional. If you want to have, if you want to find community, be intentional. I'm going to tell you something. A few high school kids still here. High school is a great time because you can make friends and meet people. After kind of high school, you don't really, it's not, it's not that easy. It's not the same. You have to be intentional. And so listen, I'm not going to give you a whole lesson on how to act when you go to campus or work or whatever, but I'm going to give you two ways that the church fosters and creates community. Like two years ago, like I said, you know, like we exist for community um, and we did and we do. But what I've seen in the last two years is the importance and the need for community. And what I've seen more than anything is that the people that the devil has been attacking and taking out are those who have been isolated, those who have no one speaking into them, those who have been alone. So two things that you can do to get connected. Number one, really simple, um, serve. Serve at church. Now, you need to understand when you serve at church, there's tasks to be done, all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, Serving at church affords you and gives you an opportunity to get connected with other people, to rub shoulders with other people. Listen, I know a large majority of you guys here today already serve, but I want you to understand something. You can serve, you can do the right things, but your mind can be in the wrong place. And so when you come here, when you do serve for every single person that gives to this place, I want you to have a mindset that says, I'm here to be connected. I'm here to get connected. If I'm younger, I'm going to go find someone that's older because I need some wisdom. If I'm older, I'm going to talk to someone that's younger because I need to know how to deal with my kids. We actually have something to offer each other, but we have to be intentional because I know someone's sitting here saying, Harrison, I do, sir, but no one talks to me. Go talk to someone. Break those chains. Break those circles. I rebuke every circle in this church. But if they're not going to break themselves up, you sneak in there and say, hey, I want to talk. Because I need community and the devil's been attacking me all week. Number two, kingdom cruise. Join a small group. Listen, I I said it two weeks ago. um, Best launch season ever. We have nine different groups. Come on. I said we got nine different groups. That's that's amazing for our church. And so listen, you say, well, I'm just going to wait for someone to invite me to. No! I'm inviting you. Whatever group you want to go to, you're invited. They're all online. They're open. Even if they say they're closed. 
So, so listen, listen, listen. I can, I can, I can only speak. Um, my, my group just started. I'm doing, I'm doing a men's Bible study. So sorry if you're, if you're not a man, you're not invited, unfortunately. Um, it's a men's Bible study. I was going to call it Man Up, um, but I don't want to get canceled. Um, <laughs> so listen, we, we just started our group, and if you're a guy, you're invited it's back in two weeks. Um, but I, I like just the, the amount of community in an hour was amazing. The amount of lies. That's kind of what we did the whole time. Just like identify lies that we believe as men, right? I got a text from someone after. I'm not going to say his name, but um, sometimes like just things work so perfectly from your sermons, you have to share it. Um, texted me. He said, thanks for putting this on tonight. I've learned a lot more in that hour than I have in weeks, get this, of trying to figure things out on my own. That's why we do Kingdom Cruise. That's why we have community. Because guess what? If you're struggling to figure out truth by yourself, you were never meant to figure it out by yourself. We need community. You see, what isolation does is isolation allows us to buy the lie that says, I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one. One of the reasons we want to, to pull back, that we want to hide, is because of the negative thought patterns that we have. And so we say things like, well, but if anyone just knew what I was thinking, if anyone knew what I was going through, what I was struggling with, they wouldn't want to be around me. You need to understand that's a lie from the enemy. Because what happens when we come together in groups, or what happens when we come together in community, is we realize, oh my gosh, a lot of us are believing the same lies. One of the things I've been doing when I, I preach, I've been preaching for a number of years, is what I try to do is I try to identify truisms, things that we all believe, right? And, and often the truisms are actually false isms. But it's not that hard. Because you want to know what I do? I examine my life and I ask myself, what are some lies that I believe? And if I believe this, I bet you there's some other people that do. And so the beauty of community is that it can bring us into the light. You need to understand when the devil attacked Eve by herself, it was not a coincidence. It was not an accident. What he wanted to do was he wanted to get her alone and in isolation. And the devil will say, when you're feeling down, the best thing you can do is just be alone. Just have some me time. It's a lie. It's a lie. So first tactic, isolation. Second tactic, the way to combat against it, community. Make sense? Let's look at number two. Um, so again, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So I'll give a little context to this. Here's the context you need to know. Number one is what we read in John chapter eight. And in John chapter eight, Jesus said, everything the devil says is a lie. You guys know some liars? Do you guys know people that say everything is a lie? I don't. But the devil, everything he says is a lie. And so the scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of what he says. But right here, we can deduce he's lying. He says to Eve, did God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Go back to Genesis 2. We'll read there in a second. God never says that. God does not say you can't eat from any tree in the garden. What God actually says is every tree in this garden I give to you. The one over here, don't, don't touch it though. Because if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. You see, there's a principle I want us to understand. 
what God tells us and what God allows us and what God encourages us to do will always be far greater and far superior than the things that he tells us not to do. But what the devil wants to do is he wants to isolate and more than anything, he wants to change and give us half-truths. So number two, or verse two, the woman said to the serpent, well, we, we, no, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Satan, verse 4, ah, you will not certainly die. You're going to be okay. If you don't know how the story ends, um, they eat the fruit. It takes a long time, but guess what? They both die. So, second tactic, how does the devil work? Number two, through confusion. First was isolation, number two, confusion. The devil, and you need to understand when it comes to these tactics, the three tactics, he'll do one tactic, two tactics, three, sometimes all together because they're all effective. So sometimes he's going to confuse you in isolation. Sometimes he'll actually confuse you in community. So we need to be under, understand how the devil works. So number two is confusion. How does the devil confuse us? He tries to blur the lines between truth and between what is true and what is false. The main thing the devil wants to get us to do is question everything and anything that God says is true. That is his plan. The devil works in half-truths. You can write that down. The devil works in half-truths. You see, for a lot of us when it comes to the devil, um, we picture like scary. Like, like my mom, like growing up, um, like we weren't, we weren't allowed to like, for Halloween, it's Halloween season. We weren't allowed to dress up in devilish things. Anyone else like that? Yeah. So like Christian kids, you know what's up. So we had the lamest costumes, right? <laughs> like I was a doctor. <laughs> I was like a smiling pumpkin one year. <laughs> like as I got older, like I started to try to get more creative. Um, so in grade eight, I was an illegal immigrant. Um, <laughs> Listen, I have a theory. Uh, if you confess your sins, you can't get canceled, right? Uh, I'm not saying it was right. The times were different back then. I had to, but like, I had to get creative, right? Because I wasn't allowed to have like devilish things. Because like, for my mom, her picture, my, the picture of the devil, and for a lot of us, it's like, well, he's, he's scary, he's creepy, it's skulls, it's bones, it's blood, it's horror movies. Stay away. Now, I have an opinion on all that kind of stuff, and you can stay away if you want. But what I believe to be true is that the devil does not so much work overtly. All that stuff is overt, right? The devil works covertly. And what that means is he works undercover. And so what he's trying to do, he's not trying to throw blood in your face. But what he's trying to do, he's trying to fill your life with half-truths. And so what the devil wants to do is the devil wants to confuse us. Because if he can get us to believe lies as truth, we can no longer begin to distinguish that question, what is true and what is false. You see, we live in a society and a culture that says there is no truth. What is true for you, that's truth. Just live your truth. Now, this idea that there is no truth is a truth statement in of itself. So whether you think it or not, all of us believe something. And what the devil wants to do is everything that God says is true he wants to attack it, and he wants to tear it down. 
Now, again, as I said, I don't have time to go through every single thing that God says and how Satan kind of counterfeits it. I just kind of more so want to paint this picture of how God works. Now, one of the things that I believe the enemy attacks today specifically, um, more than perhaps anything, I think that the devil attacks God's picture um, of the family structure and sexuality. I think that is under attack from the devil. Now, if, if you don't know, we kind of actually get it in Genesis. God says to Adam and to Eve, he says, okay, I'm going to create for you a spouse, be fruitful, multiply, right? So man, woman, have kids. That's kind of the family structure, right? God says, do it up. This can be amazing. And again, God doesn't really give them any guidelines, right? He just says, be fruitful, multiply. The guidelines come after when people kind of get more messed up. But again, what the devil tries to do is he tries to confuse. This is God's, it's kind of simple. It's not that complicated. But the devil begins to say things to us, to our spirit. Like, well, do you really think, do you really think that's the best thing for you? Like, come on, let's, let's be honest. Do you truly think having one sexual partner is going to be the most satisfying thing for your entire life? Like, have you not looked around? There are plenty of fish in the sea. Maybe there's something better for you out there. Now, I, I believe even more so if you step into God's ordained plan for marriage, I believe actually that the tax intensify. And they get more so. And I, I think for a lot of us, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. There's voices. Thoughts. It's like, man, like, yeah, marriage is nice. Your wife is cool. Your kids are great. But, like, imagine if you only saw them every other week. Like, how great would that be? It's like, yeah. Like, yeah, he cleans the gutters. But, like, what if you had a younger guy? You guys know what I'm saying? Just, just lies, right? But there's half-truths in there, right? Kids are stressful sometimes. Your husband's an idiot sometimes. Your wife doesn't understand sometimes. And so the devil tries to build on these half-truths. And again, it's like, well, where does this come from? Sure, yes, there, there, there's voices. But again, I would say that one of the main mediums the devil uses is, is media. It's TV, it's social media. I'm going to give you another challenge. Can I give you another challenge? Yeah. Next time you watch TV, it's a long weekend, so some of y'all Netflixing, Netflixing, <laughs> watching Netflix. Um, I want to encourage you, whatever show, whatever movie, and if you don't watch shows and movies, come pray for me after I need your Holy Spirit anointing. Um, <laughs> just see if you can begin to identify lies. And if you can't, like you're not there yet, you're, you're new, it's fine. But for those of you guys that like, have been in church for a long time, just try to identify lies as you watch it. One thing, like um, I've told you guys, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. Um, and Seinfeld is now on Netflix. Come on, somebody. And um, so I just, I just tried this last night. I couldn't, I couldn't watch like, like I tried I couldn't watch the show because the whole show is one big lie it's, and like I haven't watched these shows um, but they're trending on Netflix like sex life sex education or whatever they're called if you watch that I'm praying for you um, <laughs> but if you watch it I can guarantee you the entire thing is just lies listen like we're, we're past the Brady Bunch days just even, I think one of the biggest things, watch the shows and watch how families are portrayed. Watch how a husband is portrayed. Watch how a wife is portrayed. Watch how the family structure is portrayed. 
and more often than not, it's negative. Men are lazy. Right? Women just want something more. This life isn't enough. Another huge lie you can watch every single show that has casual sex. People just hook up and move on like they're eating a cheeseburger. I think every single person knows this to be true. Where there's, where, where there's intimacy, there's a connection. Whether it's one time or 10 times, there's no, there's no reality where I just walk away. But every single TV show, it's like eating a burger. I just finish and I'm done. Just begin to identify lies, is what I'm saying. You guys understand? Because what the devil's trying to do is he's trying to confuse us. And what happens, especially when it comes to TV, when it comes to social media, is we scroll, we scroll, we scroll. We consume, we consume, we consume. And we are what we eat. And so what happens is all of a sudden we have no barometer for what is true. And we don't know why. I'll tell you why. It's because you consume thousands of hours of lies. And you just don't know it. So, the devil works through confusion. What's the solution? The solution is clarity. How do I get clarity? Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of evil, for if you eat it, you will certainly die. So, how do I get clarity? If the devil works through confusion, where does clarity come from? Clarity comes from the word of God. Clarity comes from scripture. Clarity comes from the Bible. Now, it's funny the amount, and, and this goes both ways, but I think it's funny for the amount of Christians that grow up in church, say they love Jesus, say they love church, and they've never actually read the Bible. And like maybe it's good parenting, like their parents have taught them everything, and so it's cool. Um, but there's tons of Christians that think they know what they believe, but they've never read anything in their entire lives. And in the same breath, I think there's a bunch of people that were in church, have rejected Christianity, but they've also never read anything before. And what that lets us know is that we're making assumptions and we're trying to get clarity from things other than God. And I want you to understand something. Our job as parents is to teach our kids as best as we can. But at the very end of the day, if the only clarity that our kids have is from us, that's not going to be good enough. Clarity needs to come from the word of God and from Jesus. And the clearest way that Jesus has spoken to us is through the Bible. And as I said before, there's a generation of people that consume thousands of hours of media a year and maybe minutes of the word of God. And so it's no wonder we also have a generation that does not know what is true and what is false. And even more so has no idea how to distinguish it. So for some of us who are saying, well, Harrison, you know what? Like I actually, I do know the Bible pretty well. Um, and I'm gonna be honest. I just don't agree with God's conclusions. I don't agree with his word. Um, and the beauty of Jesus is that he's not a dictator. And so you don't have to agree with him. But here's the thing about truth. Truth is truth whether I agree with it or not. Truth is truth whether I believe it or not. And so you don't have to agree with it. But what I have found, and I'm, I'm still trying, I'm searching, I'm searching. What I have found is that for everything that God has told me to do, I think it actually makes sense. Sometimes I don't want it to make sense, but when I really dig into the truth, I think it makes sense. So I told you the guys the idea of family, structures, sexuality, the lies that we believe. Um, and again, you don't have to believe it. It's totally fine. 
You can say, Harrison, I think it's best to get married 18 times. Sure, whatever. You do you. But if truth is truth, it's truth whether I agree it or not, agree with it or not. So all that we can do is follow the facts. And I just kind of want to explain it like this. And, and again, I'm a parent to babies. Um, and the truth is a lot of what we Christy and I do as we parent, our girls don't understand it. And the truth is they don't need to understand it because I'm on a way higher level than they are. I, I don't really have time to, I don't need to explain like, hey, don't touch the stove, right? I, like, I just know it's bad for them, right? And oftentimes you need to understand if God is our father, if God is a parent, he wants what's best for us. And so Ignatius, um, he, he's, a, he's a Catholic priest from the 1500s. He said it simply like this. He said, sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Everything that God has for us, everything that God says and encourages us to do is only for our deepest contentment. And so what the devil does is he plays on this. He says, no, 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 this is what happiness looks like. This is what contentment looks like. Trust me. So, Again, we live in a skeptical culture, but the funny thing about our culture is that I think our culture is skeptical of everything except the culture itself. I'll question everything except culture. So, one of the ideas, again, a family structure. So, something that has kind of become a truism um, is this idea that um, couples, and whether they get married or not is kind of irrelevant, but in order for couples to truly know each other, they need to live together, and they need to be sexually active. It's kind of like a truism of culture, right? Just, you should live together, be sexually active. You need to understand each other. You need to get to, you got to build that chemistry, right? And especially if you want to get married, there's zero chance your marriage will succeed unless you live together first. You guys ever hear that stuff? Yeah. Right? I was talking to my, my, my sister and, or someone, um, and they were saying, like, man, they couldn't believe that we weren't living together before we got married. It just didn't make sense to them. Was that, was that you we were talking to? <laughs> it, was my, it was my other sister you guys don't know about. Um, my sister in Christ somewhere. Someone said that. Um, anyways, get back to checking my mic. <laughs> Love you. I got to go. I got to go. I gotta go. Back on track. Back on track. You guys understand that, 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 that idea, that train of thought? You've heard that kind of stuff? So let's go with statistics. Couples that live together before they get married divorce at a rate of 1.3 times higher than couples that don't. So couples that live together before they get married, the divorce rate goes up almost 1.5 times. Now, you need to understand, in 1960, there was virtually zero couples that lived together before they were married. In 2021, the majority of couples lived together before they get married. Because of the wisdom. And you need to understand, of course there are half-truths in it. Do you get to know someone better when you live together? Absolutely. Right? But what the devil does is it works through half-truths. It doesn't give the full picture. Full picture is that marriage, the divorce rate goes up, not down when you live together. Second thing is this, and this is psychology, not theology. There's studies that are being done about the effect that more sexual partners has on your body. And one thing psychology is, and biology is finding is that the more sexual partners you have, the less capacity you have for intimacy. 
But conventional wisdom says, well, it's got to find the chemistry. Make sure you find that chemistry and we never question it. But again, truth is truth whether I believe it or not. And so what that means is if I follow the lines, it should lead me somewhere. Does that make sense? Here's another big lie. I talk to a lot of people. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get into a relationship. I'm, I'm going to get married, but I need to be financially secure. Right? In fact, like, I, um, I don't think that couples should get married because uh, your financial security actually goes down. Because you got, like, two people, then you got kids, then you got diapers, then you, it's just, like, it's too expensive. It's too expensive for me to get married. I'm just going to be single, whatever. Um, here's the truth. Longevity. Couples that get and stayed married by the time of retirement have 75% more wealth than those who never marry. And again, I'm not saying you have to get married. I'm just tearing down lies. And that's a lie that I hear. And it doesn't really make sense because once you're married, once you have kids, like, man, I think I've spent thousands of dollars on diapers and it sucks. <laughs> but stats just tell me that if I stay through it, I'm going to be 75% wealthier than if I left. Here's the last one, and this is the biggest thing that couples deal with. Um, and it's this idea that uh, when it comes to your relationship, if you don't feel like you're in love, it's time to end it. If you no longer feel happy, just leave. Bro, life is too short. You need to live your truth. You need to live your happiness. Just leave. And as we know, it's, it's, it's a lie that so many people believe. Now, I'm going to preface with this because I know where the, the opposite goes. Um, if you're in an abusive relationship, um, I'm not telling you to stay. Please understand that. Um, just to make that clear when I read some stats in a second. But for the majority of people that, that divorce for other reasons, there's this lie that says it's going to be better on the other side. So this was a huge study done um, by the University of Chicago um, and a socialist, so, sociologist, not a socialist. <laughs> she may be a socialist. I don't, I don't know where she stands economically. Um, sociologist. Um, I'll give you the stats in a second. But... The gist of the study, she said it like this. She said, the benefits of divorce have been oversold. It's not what you think it is. So, couples in unhappy marriages that end up staying together, they were unhappy, wanted to end up staying together, almost 70% in the long study said that within five years, they became happy because they, stick, they stuck it out. They didn't leave. Now, Again, the majority leave. Single family homes, right, which is like tons of people. I know even a lot of us here. The stats on single family homes in America and Canada through the roof in the last 50 years. But again, because of the negative, we're getting so many statistics. Now, people that come from divorce, single family homes, the chances of children experiencing abuse goes through the roof. Mental health issues with divorce through the roof. Over half of the women in prison today came from fatherless homes. Now, now, you need to see where I'm going with this. I'm not saying, like, if you came from a single-family home, you're doomed, you're going to prison. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say, you guys understand, is how do I combat confusion? I do it through clarity. And I realize that what if every single thing that Jesus instructed and told me to do is actually true? 
And if it's actually true, the, 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 the numbers will back it up. Statistics will back it up. You see, when the devil works through confusion, we need more clarity. And I'm just using the family structure as a case study. I could do the same thing for alcohol if you want me to. Don't got time. Like, go on and on and on, the lies that we believe. But if the devil works through confusion, we need more clarity. And the best way to get clarity, listen to this church, is through the word of God. And listen, if you said, I've read the Bible, I know it all, read it again. Listen, I do this thing, I read the Bible, finish, start again. Read the Bible, finish, start again. You want to know what happens every time I read it? I don't remember like three and three quarters of it. Like, wow, this is new. This is exciting. Why? Because it's a pretty dang big book. So read it and read it again. Because the best way to get clarity is through scripture. Read scripture in community. Then we can begin to combat the lies of the devil. So how does the devil work? Number one, isolation. Solution, community. Number two, confusion. Solution, clarity, word of God. Number three is this. Genesis chapter three, verse four says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So last thing the devil does is this. Number three, disordered desires. The devil works through disordered desires. How many guys like Netflix? How many guys like when the episode's really good and it just ends and there's absolutely no conclusion? Do you guys like that? You don't like it, but it makes you watch the next episode, right? I've never done this before. The sermon is over. It's done. Number three, disordered desires is a huge thing the devil does. I'm not going to do it justice in five minutes or 15 minutes. So listen, you want to see how this message ends? You want to fight the devil? Come back next week. Let's just stand for a second. We're going to pray. Jesus, I thank you um, for your word, God. And Lord, I just pray that we can take these first two this week. We can take those challenges, just examine our thought pattern, examining what we consume, God, and we can begin to live with truth. I thank you that your word is so full of life, so juicy that we're coming back next week excited. We're coming back hungry to fight and just, God, to live with truth and with clarity. Um, so Jesus, I thank you for the first half of this word, God, and I just pray um, that it takes root. And God, for the second half next week, I pray for all the people coming back and the friends they're gonna bring. Um, just to learn how to fight and to learn how to find clarity. So Jesus, I thank you so much for this time together and for this church. We love you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Can we clap our hands for the Lord? Listen, I gotta keep you guys on your feet. Church can't be the same every single week. You guys have, you guys have heard a thousand conclusions. Need some more cliffhangers. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that message encouraged and inspired you. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We'd love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.